Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And today, more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. United Nations Sustainable Development Goal Number 2 is about hunger, and the goal by 2030 is to eradicate hunger around the globe. Unfortunately, that will be missed. And our guest today, Dr. Charles Awuba, CEO of the not-for-profit Action Against Hunger USA, is going to talk about the state of hunger around the globe that there's over 600 million people that will still be hungry by that date, 2030. But he is not distressed by the challenges before him. He is a very passionate and hopeful humanitarian. In our conversation, you're going to hear him think like a businessman to the challenge of hunger. And he has profound insights for not-for-profit leaders, for potential corporate partners, for donors, that hunger can be addressed and should be eradicated in the decades to come. So join me for my conversation with Dr. Charles Awuba from Action Against Hunger. Welcome, Charles. Thank you very much, Carol. It's a joy to have you here. And I love having CEOs uh, because you have the responsibility and you also have the stress of not only your employees, but to fulfill your mission. And then you have all of your beneficiaries um, you know, around the globe, mostly in Africa, um, who, as you say, that you want individuals to have the humanity. They need to be fed. And if they can be fed and they have nutrition, then they can have the energy and they can have the drive to advance in their lives. But there also, you said um, previously that there's over, what, 690 million people around the globe that are hungry. So let's just talk about the hunger. I don't want to call it landscape because I think that's the wrong word, but what does hunger look like today um, in terms of the uh, countries that you serve? Thank you, Carol. The situation is not good. It's not good because where we are today, we were hoping that the number of people who are actually hungry will reduce. Rather, it has gone up. So in terms of the landscape, it doesn't look good at all. Let me share some numbers with you. See, the United Nations publishes its you know, flagship report. It's called The State of Food Security and Nutrition in the World. 
the, the most recent report actually came in about two months ago. Within that report, the UN in 2015, all of us working with the UN, we decided that there should be zero hunger in 2030. This new report says that we will not meet that target of zero hunger in 2030. Now, I see that was not enough. Rather, more than 600 million people will be hungry in 2030. So instead of reaching zero, now we are going to see additional 600 million people going hungry. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. You like to manage big, bold goals. And I know that you had a vision to work with not just Action Against Hunger, but other hunger organizations. Because you said that you know you have the tools to bring food to help people. Can you talk a little bit about that consortium? Because we are confronted with big issues. And these big issues require bold ideas. It's not about t- being timid anymore. Because where we are today, our only solution is being able to be bold. And that means that we would need to be able to take to scale some of the evidence-based programs that we know that work. And that means taking them to scale everywhere we can, especially where we can apply them. But in doing so, we cannot do it you know, by ourselves. It's too big. So it's about the partnerships. It's about the consortium that we form. Leveraging each other's strength, learning from each other, and then being able to work together to make sure that we can take a lot of these proven programs to scale to make sure that children and others do not die as a result of hunger. Hunger in the 21st century, when we already go into you know, space tourism, from my perspective, is unacceptable. Let's take a break and talk about the numbers. Action Against Hunger's consolidated global offices have an extraordinary impact around the globe. Here are their numbers. They were financially supported in 2020 by over 525,000 people. They raised over $580 million. They conducted 73 research projects. They employ over 8,300 employees globally. They distributed over $55 million in cash and responded to 66 emergencies. And I love this fact. They managed a global supply chain volume of over $153 million. They are a force to be reckoned with. Their goal is to eradicate hunger with Charles leading Action Against Hunger USA and his tremendous capability, humility, and openness to work with both his colleagues around the globe as well as other hunger organizations. I know that he will be a big contributor to bringing and solving that SDG goal to end hunger. It may be beyond 2030, but knowing his intentionality, it will get done. So let's talk about who you are. 
and the passion that you have and, you know, why you took the job at um, Action Against Hunger. I'll take you back to my upbringing to, to set the tone for why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So I grew up in, on the farm in rural Ghana. I had a personal experience with hunger and farming. And that led me to eventually pursue a PhD in agriculture and natural resources management. And while on the farm, I learned many things. Let me share with you two things. The first thing I learned is that we reap whatever we sow. See, whenever we took time to prepare the land and had good seeds, we had bumper harvest. Whenever we did not, harvests were poor. And this has stuck with me. Kara, I also learned while farming that timing is key in life because we depended on rainfall for our crops to grow. We had to understand seasons, including what happens within seasons, because there's only a small window of time within which we can plant the seeds. And if we failed, we will not do well. And so throughout my life, these two things, growing up in the, you know, on the farm in Ghana has taught me that reaping what we sow and timing being key have become a bedrock of my professional life. Right? So that's just my background. I also want to say that I was drawn to Action Against Anger because it is a purpose-driven organization that leads with data and evidence-based programs to innovate for impact. First, you see, because of my own experience with hunger, as I shared earlier, I believe no child should ever be hungry. That is what Action Against Hunger stands for. And second, and as you said from the beginning, my own academic and research background, I am drawn to data and innovation. And I am just thrilled when it is used to nourish children for life. So that's what Action Against Hunger stands for. And that's the reason why I'm here today, Carol. You know, I don't look at you as a not-for-profit leader. I look at you as a thoughtful, strategic business leader who happens to have a mission, which is to eradicate hunger, especially in children. And I, I love to hear you talk about using data. And, and also, I love the innovation and the collaboration. I, I want to ask, when you brought those NGOs together, you must have had some look at you with great skepticism. Like, I, I can't work with Action Against Hunger. They're, they're bigger than me. They're going to take over, you know, what we're trying to do. How did you convince them? And I know you've got these great leadership skills. Um, how did you convince them that working together was much more powerful than just being a singleton? As you said, it's a, a very complex you know, situation. But I think it goes to commitment, passion, and expertise. Commitment because when individuals find in you that you are very committed and is genuine and they feel the passion to the point where it becomes infectious and they also find that there's expertise, there's value, a lot of the barriers are broken. And then it's about the leader being humble, the leader becoming a magnet. And so from our perspective, it's about these things coming together and being able to avail ourselves and be able to be able to engage with them. And that's why 
we've been able to build some of the consortia and others to be able to go for. So it's not about us as action against hunger. It's about, if we may, the public good, the moral issue that we all have to tackle today. And I think when it comes to that, a lot of the people in our sector understand that. And so they see that if you all came together and did very well, we should be able to achieve the purpose for which you, you know we are doing our work. And I love that you're talking about humility because in a recent podcast, I interviewed Paul Pullman and he talks so much about servant leadership and being humble and being empathetic and bringing groups together as you have, which is why I say I'm looking at you. Perhaps you're the Paul Pullman in the hunger arena, which I think would be kind of cool, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but you're not, you, you are, you are Charles. And so, um, but you're, the progress you've made in two years at Action Against Hunger is extraordinary. For our listeners, just talk a little bit about the organization and how it's structured, um, what you've, and also I'd love to know, what have you accomplished in the last two years? And I know it's been hard because you've been mostly sitting on the bench because you can't travel because of COVID. So that must have been a, tr- a challenge too, but you have made great strides. So share with our listeners the organization and some of your successes to date. So action against our purpose as an organization is to end hunger for everyone, for good. And where we are today, and given our experience, actually, we have more than 40 years of experience in this field. And because of who we are in our beginnings, we believe in data, we believe in research. We're among the first group of organizations to actually be able to develop what we call now as a ready-to-use therapeutic food more than 40 years ago, a medicalized approach to be able to treat hunger. And that approach is so powerful and is so good that when we're able to work on children who are extremely malnourished, within a matter of six weeks, a child is about to die. Within six weeks, the child is walking around and is healthy to be able to go forward. And so we are, you know, the largest non-profit, uh, international non-profit, exclusively focused on hunger and nutrition. And so we innovate solutions, advocate for change, and then scale our proven hunger prevention and treatment program. That reach more than 25 million people each year. What I can also say that from what we've done over the last 40 years, hunger is managed and the solutions can be too. So as we link to the first question that we're talking about, together with our partners, we know we can address the, uh, the drivers of uh, hunger, conflict, and others. In terms of our structure, our origins actually coming from France in 1979 when we were four. But today, we're in Canada, we're in UK, we're in Germany, we're in West Africa, East Africa, Southern Africa, we're in about 50 countries. And we have a governing structure that is able to bring all of us together. The last two years, as you said, it's been challenging, but it's been fun as well because the board, my board, a wonderful board working with me, we've been able to put in place key transformational processes to make sure that as an organization, we can do our work well, that the basics, the basics of life, the basics of the organization are right, and we can move forward. For example, we're establishing a knowledge innovation hub in Nairobi. The sweet spot. So if for, if for us, it's about getting the expertise that we have in rich countries and developing countries and working with our partners in the South 
to make sure that we can develop this hub in a way that can serve our groups much, much better. So yes, it's been difficult, but it's been a very good process as well. I, I believe you've just recently gone into the field. Was that the first time since the since the uh, pandemic? Yes. Challenging. Yeah. How was that for you? I mean, you have these teams of people. You haven't. You're a humanist. You know, you, I can see that you that you thrive off of really being with people. What was it like for the first time after Zooming endless, endless meetings and conversations? There was so much joy going to meet with them because we always say that's where the rubber meets the road, you know. So there was so much going. But then, you know, had all these challenges with testing and this and others. And so it was a bit complicated from the very beginning. But we met. And when we met, there was joy. But I'll tell you that as we went through the processes, engaging with our country directors, just when we were finishing and we were checking the mood, I thought, because of what COVID had done to us the last year and a half, I thought the stress of the work that they would be down. What surprised me the most, they weren't down. They were asking for more. They were asking us to move into more communities because the communities believe in our work. And they're asking us to move into other countries so we can help a lot more people. Now, you would think people who have gone through this challenging time, battered, some of them lost their own, you know, family members, yet they are energized to be able to do more. So that, that, that was surprising to me, but it was a good surprise. So I came back full of energy and excitement, and we're going to work harder, even to reach a lot more people. And the, they were energized, I'm assuming, because of you, a new CEO who has a great data-driven background. And um, I love that the fact that you've got a PhD in, in farming and such. So that's a very directly linked. Um, what, was there anything else that they said to you, like why they were so excited to, to, I mean, so excited in a post or in a pandemic next world is hard, especially in Africa. Exactly, Carol. But what they saw was they said COVID has also opened our eyes to many things that we can even do more. And I'll give you an example. We have a lot of health posts in hard-to-reach places. Carol, most places that we work, Ford F-150 would not go there. It cannot go there. Toyota Land Cruiser cannot go there. How do you get there then? Difficult, sometimes with motorbikes, sometimes with bicycles. The remotest of places, and we've established this health post. So the excitement was, can we have many more of these health posts, for example, and make sure they're well-equipped so that we can serve a lot more people because we can do more than what we're doing. So those were part of the exciting actually coming up. Oh, that, that's brilliant. Now, I also, you also have the distinct challenge of um, drought. And I know, for example, that drought in Madagascar was so extreme and you've got the, the confluence of climate and hunger coming together more so than ever before. How are you as a leader at Action Against Hunger, how are you dealing with this, this double huge challenges? It is a problem. See, before COVID even hit, we had these issues already with us, the extremes in climate, and we have conflict. So let me talk about the extremes in climate. And you mentioned Madagascar. See, the data is clear, right? We always believe in data. So 
if we compare the last 20 years to the previous 20 years, what we have seen that these climate extremes have actually doubled and they've become much more intense. In East Africa, for example, it used to be that you can have drought maybe once in four years. Today, we are seeing drought once, you know, in every other year. In Madagascar, that you mentioned, all consecutive years, there has not been a drop of rain in the area. And so the soil there is bare. Remember that area, the southern part of Madagascar, where the drought has occurred, is already a semi-arid area, already dry. And so without any rain, the winds have come in, have taken the topsoil. Topsoils are very important for agricultural production. They're already gone. People are suffering. We have to feed them. So these climate extremes are actually real. And then on top of that, we're seeing conflict in many of these areas that we work in. Yemen, the world's worst humanitarian crisis is happening today. Ethiopia, out of the blue, that's fighting in Tigray. We never expected that. It's happening. When those things happen, guess what? People will have to move. Their livelihoods, strong people who are feeding themselves can no longer feed themselves. They are now in, you know, in Tigray. They are moving to Sudan and other places. And then on top came COVID, which has exacerbated everything. So the world out there is challenging. There's hope, though, because I think together we can be able to solve this issue in a way that we can save lives. And I'd love if you could tell the story of using satellite technology to try and help with farming, water, pasture, and such. Again, you, I love the breadth of your thinking because you're not thinking like, a, well, here's our mission, please give us money, and here's a picture. I mean, you're really addressing core solutions. So can you talk a little bit about that technology? This is our you know, pastoralist early warning system that we developed in West Africa, in the Sahel. And we went there because of our own expertise. We are blessed with strong technical people who know what they're doing. And so the whole idea is, can we use technology today to be able to then guide these pastoralists, to be able to find pasture where the animals will be able to, you know, have food, the grass? And can we use technology to be able to direct them to find water so that they can water the animals? So for us, it's satellite, you know, analysis of satellite imagery doing that so well, and then we set up Sentinel sites in the Sahel. And so apart from the analysis that we were doing, we had information as well from the ground that we were triangulating to make sure that we will sharpen those results and then sharing that information through radio systems and others. So we can guide the pastoralists to be able to go to these places to feed the animals and to go to water the animals. And I must say that if you live in the Sahel, you have to learn to be efficient. It's not a place where you just get up and walk about. Otherwise, you're going to die of exhaustion, dehydration, and heat stroke. So the, our farmers in there have found this to be very, very useful because we can guide them. They're much more efficient to be able to. So that's one of the things that we've done in the Sahel to help with our farmers as a way of preventing hunger from happening and that they can feed you know, their old you know, children. I must also add, you know, Carol, that beyond that, we're taking big data. And this is what I love, action against hunger. 
data, we have big data today. So instead of the previous work we used to do where we have to go to the field to collect data and everything, we are using secondary data to be able to predict the occurrence or the likelihood of where we are going to see farming next. And there, it's not just by ourselves, it's partnership with universities such as University of Maryland. We're working with others outside of the U.S. and they have helped us, us to be able to do that. And the result from this programming that we're talking about is just amazing. And that's what we are going to share with the rest of, you know, organizations in the sector to make sure that we can prepare and have, we can preposition a lot of the things we need before hunger strikes so that we are there to be able to save the people. So, so you've talked about two of your innovations. There are others um, that, that Action Against Hunger has. Uh, you've got the Pews program, the SMART program. Do you want to share some of the detail of those two programs, again, showing how you're taking innovation and applying it to attack hunger? So with a SMART piece, it's about the data that we collect from many of these countries. Today, that data is scattered. There is no one place in the world today where such data you can go to, tap into, and learn from it. So what we've done with SMART is to be make sure we can collect this data, have it in one database. And as we are working with people in those communities, the data is fed into the system and is available to the rest of the world. So they can help with thinking, it can help with planning, it can help with programming. With the family new act that we've developed, it's also understanding the current system that we're working in. And it just came in so good. It was lively during the COVID era. So the family MUAC, MUAC is basically middle upper arm circumference. The, the band. And the, the band. We use a plastic tape, yes. A plastic tape, a color-coded plastic tape, which we then tie around the child's mid-upper arm and we strap it. If it shows red, the child needs immediate attention because the child is extremely malnourished. If it shows yellow, the child needs attention. If it's green, the child is okay. The beauty about this is that we have empowered mothers with giving these plastic tapes, color-coded plastic tapes to mothers, and we've explained to them what it means. So even though some of them have not gone to school and couldn't read, they understand colors. So we have empowered mothers to be able to do that. And then we also have community health workers in many of these communities. So they are the ones going to these communities, being able to then diagnose the children from their own homes instead of us going to those places. Because sometimes it's difficult for us to get there. So that empowerment came in so well during the COVID era, which is so with us. So they were diagnosing and then they'll be able to come to our health post for them to be able to receive the support that we could give them. The, the, the band is so brilliant. It is so simple. And it, and it, it's just to your point, anybody can understand it. Um, it gives you a direct diagnosis really quickly. And then you could administer, um, you know, medical help and, and supplemental food and things like that. So it's brilliant. And I love its brilliance and its simplicity. In terms of staying relevant, you know, um, fortunately, many, many not-for-profits, they're all, you know, they're on, they're on, I watch CNN constantly. So they're all, you know, making their, their, they're asking for money and they're showing these very sad faces of puppies or whatever. How do you keep hunger relevant? 
um, in a in a world where you know the attention span for people um, is getting shorter and shorter. You know, hunger has been with us, you know, for you know for a while. It is still with us, but we believe that there's a way that we can resolve it. So, in terms of where we are today, given all the challenges that we have in the world, our purpose is even much more important today than it was yesterday. And as I said earlier, the UN report and what it is telling us, this is dire situation. It's only nine years away, and we're not going to be able to meet the zero uh, uh, hunger that we're talking about. The numbers are going to go up. But that's nine years away. But let me even share with you today what is happening. As we speak, Carol, 43 million people living in 23 countries are on the brink of famine. And guess what? Every year, 2 million children die of hunger-related causes. 2 million children every year. Now, the significance of this, right? So you have our X chromosomes and Y chromosomes coming together for us to have a human being. But within that is a talent that is within it. And so for every year, you know, human beings, the world losing 2 million children, that talent pool is lost. Whatever was going to be available to the world is already gone, and we cannot afford to do that. So our purpose today is much more important than, than where we were even 10 years ago. The numbers are going up. Let me also add that our purpose is even much more relevant today because it is also the foundation upon which we know our, the whole society thrives. Why do I say that? We have, we now live in an interconnected world, right? So you have corporate America, corporate UK, Australia, moving across boundaries, moving into many of these areas to be able to have businesses. The world is all interconnected. And when they go to South Asia, Bangladesh, or Ghana, or Vietnam, guess what they want? They want to hire the best and the brightest. Well, the best and the brightest can only be there only because when they were young, zero to five, they were fed well. And so there's a moral thing on our part that we can make sure children are fed well from zero to five so that their cognitive skills are developed, they're sharpened, and they can do well so that if corporate America or whoever gets them can tap into that pool of smart and bright people who can then produce very well for the larger productivity that we're talking about. And lastly, Carol, $1 invested in hunger programming leads to 16 US dollars in return into the economy. A dollar leading to 16 US dollars back into the economy. It is a smart development approach. We can sell this on Wall Street. And so staying relevant, it's finding a way to be able to share this more for people. And we know that people will understand this because it's just a smart development approach that we have to use. Well, well thank you. And I'm, I want to talk about donors next and partners. But I also want to let our listeners know in our show notes, we're going to link to your website. You've got beautiful videos um, that really show about the band and about children and about malnutrition and the nutrition. So uh, we will we will attach that uh, to our show notes. Let's talk about donors. And I know that people are going to listen to this podcast and they're going to go, Wow, this is a very different kind of not-for-profit. 
It is, um, it's relentless. It has a great leader. Um, it is bringing other not-for-profits together. It is humble. It is data-driven. Can you talk a little bit about how you use your data to reach out to some of your donors? And let's just start there. Then I'm going to want to ask about some of your partnerships with corporations. So we're, the beauty of Rashna Gay Sangha is constantly sensing and feeling and understanding where we are in the world, right? The context within which we live. And then the data that we we'll collect from our own field programs was what is available to us. Bringing all of that together, synthesizing the data, making it easier to be consumed by anybody, and then being able to share that with our donors and with our partners. And also is meeting them where they are. Sometimes in our sector, we can become so verbose and so technical, people don't even understand it. But bringing it, making it simple for them to be able to understand and letting them know that despite their challenges, there's also hope. Carol, it's always easy to talk about how bad things are. But it's also very important to let our donors know that through their support, we are seeing progress in many of these places. So part of our success is also to share with them the successes. And that's part of our way of reaching a lot more donors. And that's why they continue to come to us to be able to support us. And I know you also, you slice the data. So while hunger is the core issue, I know that you have used your data to understand that clean water is important to many of your donors. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And so part of the analysis, part of our DNA and the research that we do, we know that there are many parts of the world where poor sanitation leads to stunting, where a child's brain is getting stunted and the child is not growing well. Now, many people may not know that poor sanitation can lead to stunting. And as part of our work, what we do is bringing in, making sure people have access to clean drinking water and where the sanitary conditions are not good, working with them to make sure they live in this clean environment. So that when the child is fed, he or she or they can drink good drinking water. Because without that good drinking water, whatever the child eats goes out the other way. It doesn't even stay. It's wasted energy. And so you need the child to be fed well, but also to drink clean, good you know, water to be able to do that. And then the sanitation part also comes in. So we do that as well to make sure that, you know, children actually living, they can live the life that they want to be able to live. So, so what, is, what does a great corporate partner look like for you? What are the attributes that you're seeking in a partner so that I'm assuming knowing you now, it's, um, it's not transactional, that it's probably leaning it's transformational. So you don't have to name a name unless you want to, but it's more so the, the attributes and what you're looking for in a win-win to help solve pro- hunger. It's about the course. It's about the corporate partner who understands where the world is today. What is in it for them? Because in all of this, in the work that we do, is not just doing it, but it's also good for them. It's good for the world. So that understanding is, is, is very important, number one. Number two, it's about working with them to share who we are. It's about transparency. 
It's about accountability. Looking for a partner that can walk the journey with us. If it was easy to solve hunger, we would be out of business. It is challenging and difficult. And so there are times when we don't have it all right. And so the partnership that we are seeking is just being transparent and telling you, we didn't do well so well here. Here are the reasons. But the next time we do this, it's going to be better. And that understanding is key. And I can tell you that our corporate partners, they love it. They like it because we're transparent. And in fact, we're even looking for opportunities for them to be with us in the field. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask to about make the field. Make sure that, yeah. yes, to wet their feet, so to speak, to feel, to touch. And we know that when they come back to the U.S., for example, they're eager to be able to do more because we opened our doors to them. We were partnered with them to be able to journey with us. So that's what we are doing with our, with, with our partners today. And pre-COVID, you did take, I assume, key partners into the field. We did. Yes. We and did. Uh, yeah, can you just talk a little bit about what the experience, you know, what you would share with them? Where would they go? What would they do? Once we're able to work with them, we share as much as we can. But when they enter the field, they come back shocked and surprised. But one of the things they keep telling us is the trust that they see between us and the communities because we're there with them. And what you also find that a lot of the mothers and fathers, all they're asking for is their own capability to be able to feed their own children. A mother, a father, a caregiver, that's a right, that's something they always care about. And so they become you know, excited that we're able to support them through improvements in our livelihood programming that we're providing them with very good seeds, guiding them how they can do it and make it better for bumper harvest and linking them to markets so they can sell so that they can then be able to feed their own children. And that's what keeps coming back. Say, how can we help you more to be able to prevent hunger from happening in many of these places? And then sometimes the shock of not knowing what life was in many of these places. We are blessed to be here in the United States yeah, we have our own challenges. But Carol, when you travel to many of these places, that's when you know that we live in an unequal world. I can share with you South Sudan, my own personal experiences another time. But when you travel to those places, you know that is an unequal world on what we need to do to be able to advocate to make sure the world is much better, you know, tomorrow than what it is today. I'd love for you to share a story or two that when you were in the field, except that you were only in the field recently, still can you tell a story about how this work has truly impacted you, even if you have only been at the field a bit because of COVID? Many years ago, I, I, was, I was in uh, South Sudan. And proud to go in there, my boss used to tell me how bad things were in South Sudan all that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we see all these pictures and, you know, sometimes it's an exaggeration. You know, it's not that true and all that. That's what my mind was until I showed up in South Sudan. Let me give an example. The water that they were drinking, the color of that water, brown. And so the only way they could drink was to provide them with filters, with a netting, a fine netting at the end, like a straw. And that's what they would put into this brown-looking water. They would drink it so it can filter a lot of the dirt and others. So we were carrying all our water from Nairobi to go to that place. I was stunned 
even though I grew up, grew up on the farm in Ghana and others, that stunned me. That changed my whole approach. And I knew from then that we have to work harder to make sure that many of these places they have you know, access to clean drinking water because it is that important. Now with, with COVID, water and sanitation has even become even much more important because with COVID is still with us, it's not gone, it's here with us, making sure that the personal hygiene is taking place. How do you do it without clean drinking water? And that's where we actually have expanded our programming in water and sanitation hygiene programming so that our communities can actually benefit you know, from, from, from that work. I'm curious about the profile of your younger donors. How is the message resonating with them? And what are they looking for for information or stories? Or Because hunger probably is really um, relevant in, in their own way. Our analysis and our engagement with the youth, the younger generation, is clear. They're looking for impact. Impact, impact, impact. Show me. And so with that, we go to them and let them know the impact that we're achieving, but also what we can do with them. And what we can do with them, being able to go beyond the impact that we've already shared, is already exciting to them. And that's why they come back to be able to partner with us. It's also about tapping into the expertise. I mean, the younger generation, smarter, brighter, they want to do something different from what their fathers and mothers did. And for them, it's about participating in our processes to make sure that they can, even beyond their giving, participate as well. So as we speak, the knowledge and knowledge you have that I share with you, we're working with a number of people that probably will sit in Nairobi to volunteer to be able to work with us. And then we can all achieve those results together. It is that exciting, you know, uh, for them. It's also about meeting them where they are. And so to be able to meet them where they are, our partnership with Netflix, I mean, look at the audience and sharing with them what we do and how we're doing it. In the gaming community, sharing with them, meeting with them right there. We're talking about the cryptocurrency communities, sharing with them. I remember a discussion, one of the meetings that I attended with them to let them know who we are and what we can do together. For me, it's about being modern, meeting them where they are, but also exciting them that it is possible and bring, letting them know that with their support, there is hope. These are such great insights and, and you have such an open mind um, versus um, perhaps some other NGOs that are just trying to, to stay in the current way they do things. I would love for you to share with other NGO leaders what are the two or three most important things they should be embracing in a COVID next world for their organizations? It may not be in hunger. It may be in another arena. If you look at COVID and where we are, I think one of the things I will share with them, they need to, it's about partnerships today. We can all, we can do it alone. And so to my, you know, colleagues, it's about partnering work. It's also about building trust in the communities that we work in. Because once that trust is established, they can then absorb whatever we're sharing with them. It's about coming down to their level, feeling them out, and being with them. That matters. You see, when you walk into a community and you look too different, 
and you appear as if you're coming from space, you're not acting as a magnet to bring people to you. And I say so because the very first impression they have of you is what stays with them because we never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that's the reason why when we go into these communities, we need to be able to embrace them and work with them. And part of the reason is that whatever we are resolving, right, in the case of hunger, we will have to be able to change a mindset. And changing that mindset also means that people will believe what we're telling them. And if we look too different from who they are, they are not absorbing it. Because we know, and I know, that whatever we allow to permeate our brains, whatever we allow to occupy our brains will end up ruling us and actually determining who we are. And so before that takes place, it has to be the right information get into the people's brains so that we can work together and to be able to reach the end that we're all seeking together. It's about that humility and understanding and trust. I love it. I, I love humility, understanding, and trust. What drives you and motivates you as a leader? It seems that you have, this is very spiritual in nature. It is. My background to begin with, the finding a way to be able to give back to society because I've been privileged. Despite the big, difficult beginnings, I've been blessed with many things. At least when I was hungry, somebody gave a helping hand to help me out. I remember, you know, my mother's cousin coming to help us. But there were times when we did not know where our next meal was going to come from. So that has stayed with me, finding a way to make sure that I can give back. But the core of it all is my faith. That's what motivates me. And there are days when life is tough, but then I run to my faith because I find peace. And the reason I do so is that I know for sure that when all this is said and done, a day will come when I'll be asked a question. And that question is about the power of the talent in the Bible. How did you use the talent that I gave you? See, the import of that question is not how I use that talent to develop myself as Charles. Of course, the talent is in me. But the import in that question is, how did you use that talent to help the poor and the needy because God loves them. How did you use it? And so during moments when things are tight and difficult and everything, I run to that and I'm energized and I'm motivated to be able to do more. I'm here to serve. And you become a magnet. Become a magnet. This has been a wonderful conversation and I'd love it to go on, but uh, we're down to the bottom of it. But I'd love to give you the last word um, to our listeners. And our listeners, again, they're corporations, they are NGOs, they are authors, they are thought leaders, they are young people just going into the field. And so it's quite broad, but as a magnet and as an individual who just has extraordinary vision and you get things done, what would you like to say um, as final words? Three things. Please help us raise awareness of the magnitude of this issue. There are some who are aware, but not fully. 
please help us raise that awareness about hunger and what it means for the world. Second, reach out to us around a potential partnership. We would love to hear from you. And we would, we would love, love, love to work with you. And third, consider giving because it is a small development. Remember, a dollar invested in hunger programming results in 16 US dollars back into the economy. A small development. And we can do this together. Thank you. Well, thank you, Charles. This has been an extraordinary conversation. And the world is very fortunate to have you giving your service to children and to families and to strive to end hunger in a world where we have so much abundance and we just need to find the ways to do it. So you are wonderful. And I want to thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Carol. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Um, I always end with the question to our listeners, what is the power of your purpose? <laughs>